When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. WTF1 presents Hot Takes Wednesday. Hello and welcome back to Hot Takes Wednesday. It's the podcast that features your spicy hot takes and our even spicier opinions. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And uh, with me is WTF1 social media admin with the mostest. It's Hannah Atkinson. Hello, Hannah. How's it going? Hello. I'm so ready for this Hot Takes Wednesday. I don't know why. Maybe it's because we're in between two races. You know, it's a doubleheader. I'm excited. I'm pumped. Well, I was going to say there's probably an even more obvious reason. The fact that we actually, I'd argue, had a pretty good Monaco Grand Prix. Like, we, let's be honest, we all go into Monaco hoping it's good, but most of the time it just doesn't hold up. We all know of the processional nature of the place, but it just goes to show you, Hannah, just add water. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I feel like with Monaco, you either get zero or 100. Like, it's either a really good race or a terrible race there's not really any in between and obviously last year in Monaco we had rain this year we had rain towards the end and it really did spice it up a bit and it, it does make it interesting uh, now all we need is a Monaco race that is interesting without rain that would uh that would seal it for me <laughs> next year maybe and it's going to put out a TikTok on the WTF1 account <laughs> have have a good dry Monaco race challenge brackets <laughs> yes. impossible brackets oh, yeah. police called um <laughs> gone ex- wrong etc hashtag gone wrong uh, and, and see how that turns out but uh, hey we will take the elements getting involved where we can get it because it led to a genuinely interesting Monaco Grand Prix and unpredictably I guess you could say some very spicy hot takes by you the wonderful WTF1 audience so again just to explain for because every podcast is someone's first this is Hot Takes Wednesday this is where you the fine WTF1 audience on Twitter or some fight email people do email the show which I think is great I love that um, <laughs> shout out to you guys as well um uh, much appreciated some of the kind words said as well um you can send in your hot takes regarding the world of f1 in general uh and we'll evaluate them we'll have a little bit of back and forth with me and my co-host in this case hannah a bit of back and forth and then we'll score that take on a scale of one to five one being that we strongly disagree five being that we strongly agree if a take scores a one or a five it will go into our special sub-zero vault of the hottest and coldest takes of 2023 that'll be an end of season special in december only one double five so if i've had a handful of double ones but still only the one double five again <laughs> Mention reverse grids and you've got a pretty good chance of getting in that section. Just throwing that out there. Um, <laughs> if, if, if you want a bit, of hint, a bit of a hint on that one. So without further ado, Hannah, shall we get into this week's Hot Takes Wednesday? Let's get into it. Yes. Let's get into it. Uh, let's get into it. Take number one comes from James Allen. No, not that James Allen. Um <laughs> James Allen, 1993, a bit, bit younger of a James Allen for those uh, ITVF1 fans who are my sort of age out there. So he says, overtaking isn't everything for making a good race. Even without the rain, Monaco was good or even great with A, Max versus Fernando strategically, Ocon's performance, 
cars in close proximity, causing jeopardy and tension all through the field. So we could, I think we could boil this down, Hannah, to it overtaking isn't everything. Mm. And I think that's an intriguing main point. I mean, what did you make of Monaco in general? And do you think James has a point? I think he has a, a little bit of a point, but I mean, I agree that overtaking isn't everything in a race, but for me personally, it definitely is important to have overtakes to make a race the spectacle that it is. I mean, obviously strategy comes into play, which can make things interesting and things like safety cars. But then again, safety cars are exciting because they close the pack up, making overtaking a bit easier. So I suppose you can't really count safety cars because it is still to do with overtaking. Yeah. Um, a good race, I mean, you can also get a good race from having a particular driver show a really good performance, like Ocon this weekend. And also, if we're you know, talking about Monaco, Daniel Ricciardo back in 2018, incredible performance. Um, so there are other ways to make a race special. But going back to the hot take, I agree overtaking isn't everything, but to make a good race, I do think it's a, bit, a big part of that. So I, I don't know about you, but if there was a race with zero overtaking, I probably would say it wasn't a very good race. <laughs> this is true. I mean, context is everything. Is, yeah. is, that's how I look at it. I mean, Charlie, um, our, our colleague, wrote a fantastic piece about this on the website after Miami. Miami had the most overtakes of any F1 race we've had so far this season. I think it was 60-something, mm. um, something along those lines. It didn't necessarily make Miami an entertaining race. I think... I personally thought Miami was fine, but I know a lot of people crapped on it. So it's not the be-all and end-all. And to be honest with you, James, I agree. I genuinely think Monaco was the best race we've had in F1 so far this season. I think the only other contender was Australia, and I wasn't the biggest fan of the chaos of that race. I, I think it was bad chaos rather than good chaos, more the confusing and frustrating kind rather than the oh my god something funky could happen <laughs> it was more of a oh my god like what's the running order um so <laughs> and all of that for a race that actually ended under yellow in the end which is something that f1 is clearly desperate to avoid nowadays i completely agree with you james i think monaco was an intriguing race i like the the, the tension based races a lot more than most people do i know hannah mentioned that you know, Ricardo winning, I think it was 2018 or 19, where he won with a with a damaged power unit, where I think it was his MGUH that wasn't working. He was down, it was down about 150 horsepower, which is a huge amount in F1. And the tension of could Sebastian find a way around him? And that made for an intriguing race. It wasn't an overtake, but I would still rate that as a better race than most Monaco, most Monaco Grand Prix. And I genuinely liked the Max versus Fernando battle. The and you know, Clars in close proximity is interesting sometimes. Um, other tracks, I think it probably would have worked better because at Monaco, you know, you just can't pass people. However, the rain did make things very, very interesting. It puts the onus on the driver from a skill standpoint, and I like that i like demonstrations of the drivers being being great and most of them pretty much earned their paychecks because those those conditions were dreadful um and the 10 laps we got when the rain came down was incredible drama like i don't normally promote the the guys at big in hill but if you haven't seen the 10 laps of chaos video that f1 put out on their youtube channel yesterday 
where you actually got them breaking down as the rain came down and all the radio messages from the drivers and their engineers. It's a fantastic video. It genuinely is brilliant and it breaks down a lot of the decision-making and the driving skill that came with such a difficult situation where, yeah, it's raining, but not everywhere. And it was just like Mirabeau and Portier that was that was the worst parts of it. So I agree with you, James. I, I am right in your corner on this one. In fact, I'm going to say five. <laughs> I strongly agree with you. I, I am thoroughly of the belief that overtaking isn't everything. There's, there are many, many elements that can make a race interesting, and it's not just the amount of overtakes. And yeah, I agree with Hannah to an extent that, yeah, some spectacle is always good, um, but there is a lot to erase the storytelling, the nuanced side of it that isn't necessarily about just how many passes we get in a race that makes it interesting. I think Monaco is the, is the perfect example of how a race can be interesting without passing being a prevalent factor. So I'm going to say five. And I don't give out five very often on this show. So <laughs> take that as a tip of the cap, James, if I do, if I say so myself. Annette, what do you reckon? Well, this is interesting because initially I was going to say a three or a four because I do agree. Um, and then I, I really like what you said about Miami and how Miami actually had the most overtakes, but it was not a very interesting race. And it, and it made me think actually, yeah, I mean, overtakes aren't everything, are they? I mean, I mean, I think they are good to make a race special, but what the hot take says is overtaking isn't everything to make a good race. And I can't see any way where I could disagree with that. So, Dre, <laughs> I'm going to do it. It's a five. Wow. There we go. The, <laughs> the second ever double five take on Hot Takes Wednesday. There you go. James, you're in a special club, my friend. <laughs> you, like Devil Beans Coffee, make some room. We have room for for another uh, double five take. And that is, yeah, overtaking isn't everything. I can't believe I just said that when I'm a member of F1 Twitter. What can I say? <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's, it's a wild time to be alive here on Hot Takes Wednesday. Now, let's go to the other end of the scale here. Take number two from uh, 0901FW on Twitter, who says, Perez won't finish second. So I'm going to assume that Sergio Perez in the Drivers' Championship, Franz on Twitter. Uh, I've, got, I've got to just click the username to make sure i got the name right. So Franz says, Sergio Perez will not finish second. Now, I think this is an interesting one after Perez's weekend pretty much fell apart um, in, <laughs> in, in Saturday qualifying, really. That 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 big shunt at, at San Devotti um, in, in Q1 had to start from the back of the field. Never really got over the traffic, drove into a Haas at one point. Perez was in the wars. Um, he even had George Russell drive into him when the rain came <laughs> down as well. Um, that led to Russell getting an unsafe rejoin, which... Uh, Bit of, bit, of, bit of a rough weekend for Checo. And... Even watching the highlights of the Monaco race, it seemed like in that short, like seven minute video, every incident was including Perez. It's like, oh, something's happening. Oh, it's the, the rebel of Perez. Shock. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you, you got used to it after all. It was, like, it was, it was part of the furniture. Um, <laughs> to, to, to look at the situation right now, Sergio Perez is second in the championships on 105 points. Fernando Alonso is 12 points behind in third. And Alonso is racking up points every single round. He's not finished a Grand Prix lower than fourth so far this season. Um, his average finish is exactly three. Um, so if, if there's a third spot on your podium, Fernando Alonso, come on down. It's, <laughs> it's all yours. I mean, 
Do you think there's enough there for Alonso, Hannah, to potentially overtake Checo over the course of the season? Do we think Checo opens the door enough for Alonso to potentially overtake him in the championship? Yeah, I don't think there is. I think it would be great to see Alonso get second in the championship. And I don't, I can't really fault Alonso's performances. So it's not really about that. Mm. It's more just that Red Bull and, and and Perez is so impressive that I just don't see an Aston Martin catching up and, and getting second in the championship. I've also just realised while you were speaking that the hot take is Perez won't finish second. And I'm assuming that he thinks, oh, not second, third, fourth. But yeah. actually, he could be saying Perez could win the championship if he doesn't come second. That, that, that might be the hottest take we've had on this show so far. I know, <laughs> I know. Which, <laughs> if we look at it both ways, I mean, Max is just so dominant. And he, I mean, he's won four out of six races. And the two that he didn't win, there was, you know, he was unlucky with the safety car or a bad qualifying performance. So in a normal race, Max is winning in 2023. Right. So... <laughs> say Perez won't come second and come first, disagree. To say Perez won't come second and finish third and fourth, I also disagree. I think if he doesn't come second, I will be very shocked. Um, I don't see Alonso catching and I definitely don't see him beating Max. So I think second in 2023 is where Perez lives. But yeah, what do you think? I agree, uh, pretty much. Um, it reminds me a lot of when Sebastian Vettel first joined Ferrari where it was Mercedes with a dominant car, um, but Vettel was just the antagonist. He was the fawn in their side. He was the guy that was always going to rack up thirds, third places and just give them something to worry about. And maybe if an opportunity lands, he, he might be able to punish the Mercedes on a good day. That's kind of how I feel about this. I mean, this was the one for Aston Martin. And that That's how I feel about it. You look at Red Bull and where their strengths are, that, that incredible top-end speed, their, their aerodynamics, medium-speed corners and things like that. Monaco mitigates all of that. It's not a high-speed track. It's a lot more about mechanical grip. Um, and this was meant to be the one where Aston Martin, and Fernando himself said it, he thought that this was probably his best chance to win a Grand Prix all season. And then Verstappen pulled out that sector three of the gods in qualifying on his final Insane, qualifying lap, which was basically, it was like Ross Chastain wall riding in NASCAR that, that went viral <laughs> at the end of last year, where like Max, I mean, he he made a quarter of a second in an 18 second sector. That That is bonkers. Mm-hmm. Um, that was Max at his maximum and he had to do it. So, because it's a very different race if Alonso starts from the front of the field, yes. without question, given the nature of Monaco. And you could maybe make an argument that Alonso had a golden chance to win that because of the timing of that of that final stop and then putting mediums on the car and not the intermediates. I don't think it's a slam dunk compared to how, what some people were saying on Twitter, including me at the time, I, I, I admit. <laughs> um, but that was a big, big chance for Aston Martin to win a race and they just let it slip. And if this was your best chance of winning a race and taking big points out of Perez was, I mean, Alonso took 18 out of him here because of the second place he had and Perez failing to score. I'm not sure where another opportunity is going to come for that. Like this Red Bull is so dominant and even on a bad day, I, I would normally say barring major shenanigans, Perez is likely finishing second 
He's finished second or better in four out of the six Grand Prix so far this season. So you need multiple three key incidents for Alonso for me to realistically be able to overtake Perez over the course of the season. Ugh. I, 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 I think it would be great if Alonso could do it because he's one of the most interesting things about this season otherwise. But realistically, I can't see Aston Martin being a consistent enough threat to Red Bull to really make that team sweat. Um, and un- unless Perez drives horribly throughout the rest <laughs> of the season, I don't think Perez is that bad. Um, Unless he has, you know, 15 more Monacos then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, Leclerc did beat him last year, but that was by three. And like that was, it, it was, and Leclerc had a much stronger car in the first half of that season last year. That's how I look at it. So all that in mind, I'm going to say two. I don't mm. think it's a one. I, I, I could see why you've made the argument because I know Vettel has beaten some Mercs in the championship in years past purely off of consistency and taking opportunities. It's not. I'm not saying it's impossible, but Red Bull is just so good at the moment. They are so good. Verstappen is brilliant. The Red Bull car is one of the best I've ever seen. I, I can't get there on that one. How do you feel about it, Hannah? Yeah, I was going to say a one um, just because I think it's so, so unlikely. Um, it, I just don't see it happening. But I suppose you, it's not impossible. I feel like I have to say, like, disclaimer, never say never. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a two because I do strongly disagree, but it's not impossible. So I can't give it a one, but it's a two. That's fair. Um, that's fair. Like. I was tempted to go one on that one myself, Mm. to be honest. I was very close, but I feel like (laughs) Perez has left the door open enough in the past where I could maybe see an argument on that. But all things being equal, I would say, I think it's much more likely Perez is locked into second um, by the time the season finishes. Um, Don Carello with take number three on this one. Uh, Hi, Don. Um, They say... And it's another Alonso take, funnily enough. Alonso is flattered by a pay driver as his teammate. Oh, mm-hmm. no. We're throwing Lance Stroll under the bus again. <laughs> we, <laughs> have, 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 have we gone back to February? Um, <laughs> it feels like we've gone back in time here. Uh, nah. Alonso is flattered by a pay driver as his teammate. So obviously we're talking about Lance Stroll here. Mm. Oof. Back-to-back pretty rough rounds for Lance on this one. Um, mm. Miami didn't really get anywhere starting towards the back of the field. It ended up 12th. He was rough at Monaco, like missed the way bridge in qualifying, had to start, you know, towards the back of the field and then couldn't really make ground on that, was in that train of cars in the back of the field and then put the Inters on and then crashed on the Inters. <laughs> he was on the right tire and he still binned it. Um, one of, the, one of only, like, he was the only guy to technically not be classified as a finisher because I know K Mag had to park it, but he technically was a finisher because he did ninety yeah. percent distance. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Lance was really the only technical DNF, but um, I mean, Hannah, he's, he's sixty six points behind Fernando Alonso now. Mm. This is. This isn't good. It is a big gap. I think 
to say that Alonso is flattered by Stroll, I, I get where they're coming from, but mm. I think that it's reaching a little bit. I, I think Alonso's performances have been good and impressive enough that I don't need to compare him to how Stroll's doing to consider it good. Right. One of the most consistent drivers so far this season, Alonso I'm talking about, not Stroll, by the way. <laughs> um, apart from one race, has always been on the podium. You know, it's really, really impressive. And in a way, I kind of count Alonso and Stroll as being on separate teams. Like, I obviously know they're teammates, but... When someone says, oh, and Aston Martin on the podium, you always think Stroll, uh, sorry, you always think Alonso and you never think Stroll. <laughs> that was a bad mistake to make. Whoops. <laughs> um, and that's not to say I think Stroll is a is a bad driver, though. I think this season, obviously, he's had a couple of, like you just mentioned, bad races, but... If you look back at Bahrain, was really positive. And I think over the last few years, he's shown a couple of good performances. So I don't think that he's a bad driver. But if you compare him to Alonso, he just isn't quite there. Which, yeah, I understand where this hot take is coming from. But if you're consistently beating your teammate every single race, it is going to make you look better. I just think that without a teammate, or if Alonso had a teammate that was equal to him, I still think that, it doesn't take away from Alonso's great performances. So you could say that Alonso is flattered by Stroll, but I think Alonso is just good enough that he doesn't need a teammate to make him look good. He just looks good on his own, you know? I think that's very fair. I, Fernando Alonso doesn't need flattering. He's been virtually flawless this season. He has pretty much gotten the maximum available out of that Aston Martin pretty much every single weekend we've had so far this year. Like, you look at his, his, his season so far. Rebels had four one-twos already this season. Alonso has been third in three out of the four of them. The only other the only one he didn't was Baku, and Charles Leclerc is incredible around that circuit. He's always been excellent around Baku. Um, so I'm, I'm not reading anything into that. Like, uh, Alonso has been... He's not put a foot wrong all year. Like it's it's just like I I don't feel like what more could you ask of Fernando so far this season? Nothing. He's been outstanding. Yeah. Now Lance is in an interesting place. I don't think anybody realistically was expecting Lance to give Fernando Alonso a fair fight. I think we have to temper our expectations a little bit on that. However, the excuses are now going to start to run out because Lance Stroll, this is year seven of Lance Stroll in Formula One. He's not a rookie. You forget that, don't you? It's been a while. Yeah, because he debuted so young. I think he debuted at 19 or something like that. So like, it feels like like he's he's not been around as long and he's still reasonably young. I think he's what, 26, 24. He's 24. <laughs> like he's even, he's younger than I thought he was. I had to, quick, I had to do a quick Google search just to double check myself on that one. But He's been around for a long time now. He's had over 120 Grand Prix, and he's this is the best car he's ever had by a mile. And he even earned himself some extra goodwill by driving so well in Bahrain, given we know he, how badly injured he was, and he still got it out a top six finish. He was fourth in Australia. You know, that was a good result. That was on par for what Aston Martin are, but we're evaluating Aston Martin on a different level now. Like you're looking at Aston Martin, like a top end team. They are probably the second best team in F1 right now. They, they, they and Mercedes, they're a, they're a point apart through six rounds and Mercs are a perennial top contender. So like, this is the level we're now evaluating Aston Martin at. 
And I don't think Stroll's struggles are making Alonso undeserving of the praise that he's gotten. Like, like I said, how, how much more could you realistically ask of Alonso in a sport where Red Bull are completely destroying the field week in, week out? Third is the realistic maximum of Alonso unless shenanigans happen, like we got <laughs> yes. in Monaco, where he finished second, which again was probably the maximum on the table. Um, maybe an outside chance of winning with that, without that, of that late pit stop, but that wasn't on Alonso, that was on the team. Yeah, absolutely. The way I look at it, I don't think Alonso's being over, uh, over, you know, praised or you know, over complimented because of Stroll's struggles. I think a lot of people have been cynical against Stroll for a long time as a driver. Like, you know, I mean, the take itself—you you don't even refer to him by his name. You call him a pay driver, which <laughs> you know is harsh. I'm not saying it's not valid, um, but it's 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 come from a place of cynicism. Not that I'm saying you're wrong to do that. Um, there is an argument you could make. I do wonder if this continues, will Aston Martin ask Lawrence to maybe move his son aside if you want Aston Martin to be a serious contender going yeah. forward? That would be a very tough conversation. <laughs> because you, you look at the standings, like Aston Martin are only ahead of Merckx by one point. And... Stroll has had 27 out of the team's 120. It's Alonso that's put the team on his back so far this year. Yeah. If, if if Stroll is able to back him up, even on a reasonable level, Aston Martin are comfortably second. So I don't think Stroll is making Alonso look better. I just think Stroll's underperforming in general. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the issue in mind. I, I, Alonso has been outstanding. I can't argue with that. I think he's, he's an arguable driver of the year contender so far. So I'm going to say one on this one. I think I, I think Alonso's just been excellent. I don't think it's because of Stroll. I think the car is great. I think Alonso's been great. And I think he's getting the best out of his package every, every single time out. How do you feel, Hannah? Yeah, I think I'm just going to give it a simple two. Uh, I disagree with the hot take. Um, I see how someone could get to that, you know, opinion because obviously there is such a big gap between the two of them, but I do disagree. So I'm going to give it a two. Yeah. I mean, there, there's absolutely a, a, like a case you can have on this because the performances are so far apart and the point total is so far apart. It reminds me a lot of when Alonso was at Ferrari and Felipe Massa was struggling after he came back from injury. It was like the difference in performance was so big Sometimes you wonder, well, what's the true yardstick of the car? Is it near Alonso's end or is it near Massa's end? Like it's it's hard to evaluate on that sort yeah. of level. So I do get where the take is coming from. In fact, let me up it to a two because that is that is a <laughs> that that is a mitigating factor. I, I I was being harsh on that one. I think it's a it's it's a fair point. Um, and I I think that's the perspective of where um Don is coming from on that one. So. I'll, I'll go up to a two. I think that's, I think <laughs> yes, that's join the club. reasonable. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. 
Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware. We'll get back to Hot Takes Wednesday in just a moment, but first a quick word about our partners at MoneyGram. We live in a world that's more digital than ever, with nearly every want or need just to tap away. And so many of our favorite digital services seamlessly meet the physical world when they're delivered to your front door. But until now, that hasn't been true for crypto. Digital currencies have been tied up online with no easy way to bring them into the real world. That's why we're so excited to share that you can now cash in and out of select digital wallets and participate in MoneyGram locations without a bank, credit card, or debit card. Convert your digital currency to cash and back again using the only digital wallets with real cash access activated by MoneyGram. Learn more at MoneyGram.com slash Stella Wallets. That's MoneyGram.com slash Stella. That's S-T-E-L-L-A-R Wallets. Ironically, I talked about cynicism and the fourth take is from a user called Cynical Sam Free. Of course it is. <laughs> it's all interlinked. Uh, yes. Take number four reads, overtaking is way overrated in F1. Too many times a car flies by another and the announcer says the car was defenseless because of the speed difference. Get rid of DRS to make passing more meaningful. Oof. That's strong. <laughs> We've gone the we've gone the opposite way. We went from overtaking isn't everything to overtaking is everything because DRS ruins the fun. A <laughs> uh, cynical Sam living up to his username there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, to be fair, the amount of times you hear Crofty or or Brundle say the words, "There's no point in him defending that one," is just so you hear it so much now in every race. But mm. and making overtakes more meaningful would be great. Um, getting rid of DRS would do that as the drivers would have to, I mean, I don't want to say work harder for it, but it would make it a little harder to overtake. Um, But on the other hand, I feel like that wouldn't be an overly light decision as there'll be way less overtakes in a race. And that's what DRS was meant to do in the first place. So you kind of have to decide if you want more overtakes during a race or less overtakes, but they're slightly harder to achieve. I mean, I know a lot of the time if, you see, you know, a really a faster car overtake um, a slower car. It, they do fly past. For example, Max in the Red Bull overtaking Hamilton in Australia, mm. or or Max overtaking anyone in a Red Bull. Let's be real; they're much faster, but they are going to fly past. If there are cars that are similar in speed, like you know, a lot of the midfield cars, or even further down, I think overtaking even with DRS can be really exciting and. DRS does help, but if the cars are similar in speed and you overtake with DRS, you know, around a lap, that other car could then overtake with DRS again. It, is, it doesn't, if the cars are the same speed and they don't fly past, I think it can still be really exciting. So DRS, I don't think is, is all bad. And I think if you got rid of DRS, it would be very, very controversial. This is a fascinating take. Hmm. Um, genuinely... There's a lot of different ways to look at this one. I'm really trying to like, obviously I can see you on video. The Obviously everyone listening at home can't. I'm really trying to picture what you're thinking right now. Your face isn't isn't telling a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Good poker face. What can I say? Yeah. Um, DRS is kind of a necessary evil in Formula One right now because F1 teams are incredible at how well they develop their aerodynamics. And... Last year, I genuinely feel like we had a nice sweet spot with DRS where 
cars could defend themselves a lot of the time and it wasn't a straightforward pass most of the time. Um, but I think this year it's changed because teams have developed the aero and I've now seen more and more drivers complain about dirty air being too prominent again. Um, and, and we're going, we're, we're kind of going back to what it was before where it was like cars are hard to follow. You need a huge difference in performance over the car in front of you to be able to pass them. Um, and I, I think Red Bull and their car being so good has probably made us even more cynical towards DRS again, because they can go 20 miles an hour faster when their rear wing opens up. That is, it, it's undefensible. Like you, 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 if you're, the, if you're the defending car, you cannot stop that. Mm. If Red Bull have played their battery and they've used their DRS correctly, there is nothing the defending car can do to stop that. The differential in speed is just off the charts. Um, but if we got rid of DRS, we probably wouldn't see very much passing at all because the dirty air is so strong with these cars now that we probably wouldn't get any passing at all. It'll be very, very hard to be able to do that off slipstream alone. That's why it was brought in in the first place. It's like the sport knows the necessary evils of what happens with teams and development. Teams are very, very clever at figuring out figuring out what the regulations are and then maximizing the performance of their cars around that. And a lot of that involves aerodynamics and generating downforce and and what comes with that as a consequence is always going to be generating dirty air for the car behind. And that is always going to lead to cars being, you know, cars struggling to be able to follow and pass each other. That's the nature of the sport. That's how the sport works on a development level. It's a, like I said, DRS is kind of a necessary evil. So I say, pick your poison. Like, do you want to feel better about the product you're watching? If a pass does happen or do you want more passing? But like you said, it's harder for the defending car and you don't feel as, you know, euphoric about a pass on track because you know DRS played a huge hand in it. It depends on your perspective at the end of the day. I mean, I can't tell you, you know, how how entertaining your sport is to you. Um, <laughs> I know I've known many people on both sides of the aisle um, on something like this. So... How do I feel about it? I feel like it's a necessary evil and I wouldn't be for getting rid of it. I think you need to keep DRS. I think what needs to be done is tweaking the zones. I feel like you've got to be a little bit more flexible in moving your zones around a little bit in terms of how long a DRS zone is. That, I think, could be the compromise that could make it work as opposed to places like like Baku. Everybody complained that Baku, the DRS zone, was shortened by 100 metres because it made passing really, really hard, mm. which is amazing when you've got like almost a one-mile-long straight <laughs> at the end, but you've only got DRS for like the last 300 metres or so. Um, so I get it. Like The drivers all complained about that, and then when they went to the FIA about it, FIA, FIA said... Um, we change it year by year, not race by race. So I feel like that's the area of focus you need to work on as opposed to just saying, get rid of the RS, have cars pass each other naturally on track. That's just not going to happen. If, 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 you get, if you get rid of the RS, you're going to be getting less than 20 passes a race. I, I, I'm almost, you, you're, all your passing will come in the pit lane via strategy calls and under and overcuts. Like, and I'm not sure that's going to make the product any better than what it is right now. So 
for me, I'm going to say two on this one. I Again, I can't really argue with this because, like I said, entertainment is subjective. You know, what what you think your the sport should be is ultimately your your perspective. But for me personally, I don't think getting rid of DRS is going to solve anything here. Mm-hmm. It's a two for me as well. I I don't want to – I feel like every hot take – so far we've done have we done the same five two i can't remember all of the numbers but it's a two for me as well i have to do it i'm sorry yeah, I, I brought mine up like i, I was gonna oh go yeah dif- true I was you gonna, did I was, I was gonna differently on the parenting i went i went one but then i thought about it a bit more and went up to a two mm. um and then you know you went two and i went one on the alonzo take so we, 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 we mm. there's been a bit oh, okay bit, okay there's yeah. been a bit of difference yeah so we, we've both got to go two on this one like there is definitely a valid argument here, though. Like, like yes. I said, it is very much an entertainment thing, and it's very much how you personally feel about an overtake. Let yes. us know. Like, again, get in touch with me. I'd love to hear it on Twitter at Dre underscore WTF1. Send a tweet and let me know. We can we can have it out on, on social <laughs> media in a nuanced and meaningful way, if you like. Final take of the episode comes from Ty Daniels. Uh, Ty Daniels, who says... Leclerc needs to leave Ferrari to win a title, but he's too set on winning with them to do so. Therefore, he will never win one. Mm, Okay. Is Charles Leclerc too loyal to Ferrari and hence Ferrari not being good enough? to mean that Charles will never win a title it's 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 a it's a me and Kieran classic from before the season started (laughs) oh yes I remember where where we've gone back and forth on this a few times I openly admit I've changed my mind on this stance a couple of times because it's it's intriguing I mean Hannah I'd love to hear your perspective on this one first because uh like Ferrari are probably not in the best of places right now um do you think Charles maybe has to leave to utilize his full potential? Yeah, well, it it really just depends how Ferrari do in the next couple of years. Because obviously, Charles in that seat, he's been there for a while already. And I don't see him leaving, you know, immediately. I don't see him leaving in the next year. But if in the next two years, Ferrari still haven't, you know, bridged that gap to Red Bull, they're not the top team, I think he's going to be forced to look elsewhere if a title is what he wants I mean every F1 driver wants to win titles and pretty much all of the time they don't care where they win a title they just want to win one Mm. it is true obviously that Leclerc seems to have that attachment to Ferrari Um, he said you know over the last few years winning a title at Ferrari would be very special and and driving for Ferrari just generally is very special Um, I mean if the news ever came out that he was switching to another team I think the whole F1 world would go crazy because it just seems so impossible to imagine but if he does want to win a title and Ferrari aren't there within the next 2 3 years I think he's going to be forced to look elsewhere I mean the hot take says he's he is going to be too set on winning with Ferrari therefore he never will win I don't know if you know as an F1 driver you have to sometimes be selfish well, you have to be very selfish, not just sometimes. Mm. And if Ferrari aren't doing that for him, he might have to just say a very difficult go- goodbye and, and do his own thing. Although, I mean, we would all love to see him win a title at Ferrari. I, I, I just don't know if if he will hold on for that long. I think he, he would go, if the opportunity came to him and he, he could go to a top team, he probably would take it. Interesting perspective. I mean, to me, 
you don't sign a five-year contract with an F1 team unless you're dead set on trying to win with them. That just yes. doesn't happen in Formula One these days. Most drivers sign two or three-year deals, maybe even less in some cases, because they like having that flexibility. You know, the, the, the sport can change very quickly. Regulation changes come into play. They can jumble the order up of the field quite easily. This sport is all about being in the right place at the right time. And Charles committed a big chunk of his early career to Ferrari. Mm. Um, you know, you don't get five-year extensions in F1. Or in most sports, very often. Like, it's it's rare you see a contract go go that long. He clearly does want to win with them. There's clearly a, an emotional connection to Charles with Ferrari, with Jules Bianchi, the families, and and the emotional side of it. He, he clearly, you know, was a Ferrari lifer. Like, like you know, he's one of these guys like me. I grew up a huge Ferrari fan. I was a huge Schumacher fan growing up. So I know yeah. exactly how Leclerc feels about that. Um, and we are, but we are talking about a Ferrari team that has gone a decade and a half since it's last since it last won a major title. Mm. I think 2008, I want to say, was the last time they won a championship. I think it was the Constructors that year where Hamilton won the driver's title. Um, so you're looking at 15 years now since Ferrari won a title. They've come close a few times. Um, they they have developed cars that were certainly in contention. Maybe not the dead set number one car throughout an entire year, but they've come close. Is Leclerc being too loyal for his own good? I don't know. This is this is this is difficult because if you're Charles and you want to leave in, in a year and a half's time when his contract expires, where does he go? Because mm. there's no guarantee Hamilton retires. You know, um, I, it looks like he's going to sign an extension from what the talk was in Monaco. He dismissed that Ferrari rumor that had done the rounds in the Daily Mail the the, the week prior. That was quickly thrown out. Um, he's like Red Bull don't want him and Red Bull don't need him really with the lineup they've got right now. They've got their number one guy in Max Perez is a good backup at worst. Aston Martin, maybe. But does Charles want to go to Aston Martin? How much longer can Fernando Alonso go? We don't know. Would Aston Martin be prepared to, to move Lance Stroll aside to facilitate Charles Leclerc? I don't know. And I don't think anybody else is a viable contender to win a championship. Mm. Not not anytime soon. So I think Charles is kind of stuck um, at the moment, even if he did want to leave. Um, but I don't think he does either. I've, I think he could be a Ferrari lifer. I really do. I think he could be the sort of person that sticks with them all the way through and just hopes that they can develop a car good enough to do it. And if he goes anywhere else, he's probably going to be a number two in another team compared to, you know, Max Verstappen. You know, maybe at Merckx, he and George Russell get equal treatment if if that swap that people rumoured about ever does, you know, magically happen. I don't think it will, yeah. personally. But I can't get there on this one. I, I, I You could make an argument that Charles needs to leave but for what? <laughs> like, mm. you know, like it's I, I I I don't I don't think there's a viable plan B for Charles to make this work. But I and I also but then you, by that perspective, you've also got to ask, is Ferrari good enough to develop a championship level car to, to go with the take? 
not convinced on that either. <laughs> so yeah, like, but again, does Charles stick around long enough to find out? Like, we'll know in a year or so's time because that's when his contract is up. So, uh, this is tough. This is really hard to score. Um, I'll, I'm gonna give it a. Oh, I don't know. I feel like I'm gonna give it a three. I hate to do that. It's right in the middle, but I can really see both sides of it. I mean, I can see that. I can see Ferrari not giving Charles a car that is good enough to win a title, but I can also see him not wanting to leave so bad that he just continues his career at Ferrari and it never goes anywhere. And like you said, you made a really good point about like, where would he actually go if he was to leave? So I see both sides of this argument very clearly. So I just have to go in the middle and say three because I just don't know what to pick. I'm going to say four. Oh, okay. I'm going to say four here. And what swung it for me is that Ferrari need to prove that they can build a contender. First yes. and foremost, I don't think, I think Charles Leclerc is definitely good enough to win a title as a driver. I think he's the clear number three guy in this championship in terms of pound-for-pound pound skill. I've only got Hamilton and Verstappen above him in terms of ability, pound-for-pound. Pound. I think Charles is good enough to win a title if the car is good enough. Ferrari has just not been able to to prove it in recent times over a full season that they can develop a car that can spearhead the front of the field they've had too many consistent problems with the cars they've developed for me to believe that Leclerc can win a title so with that in mind combine that with Leclerc's loyalty to the badge that's probably a bad combination um, in the grand scheme so I'm actually going to lean a little bit more towards a green with tying I'm going to say four on this one nice okay that's that's good that's good I'm glad that because I feel like a lot of the time with these hot takes we're towards the lower end of the scale but no a five and a four from me this week that's rare um yeah. I, I like that uh, but i like that uh, great takes as ever um on this edition of hot takes wednesday that'll do it for this week's version of the show we'll be back after the spanish grand prix this weekend for another edition of hgw um again feel free to keep looking out for the tweets on twitter at wtf1 official uh you can follow us on there send them in every monday when the tweet goes live keep an eye out for it you can't miss the bottle of the hot sauce but uh <laughs> <laughs> until next time i've been dre harrison she's been hannah atkinson uh we'll catch you guys next week on hot takes wednesday bye for now see ya Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.